What's up, y'all? All right. So listen, we have a new opportunity so you can be loyal increasingly <laughs> to the Corner Store Podcast. Uh, we have a Patreon account. Talk about David. Where can people find us on Patreon? Patreon.com slash Corner Store underscore pod. And this is a way where you can support us each and every week. Uh, there are, you know, very... Uh, affordable ways to support the corner store. It gives you a multitude of options. You could support the snacks, uh, stop Max from coming out of his pocket every week uh, to you know feed people in the corner store. And you could also be a part of a live studio broadcast if you wish. There's a lot of things in that Patreon account. Uh, Tar, where can people find that one more time? <laughs> Patreon.com slash corner store underscore pod. Y'all, please consider becoming a Patreon a patron of the corner store. Uh, thank you for your support. Hey, y'all welcome to another edition of the corner store. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Kevin Koval, your host, and I'm really excited to talk to our guest today. Uh, before I do, I just want to remind folks, there's a number of ways to get involved and keep up with the corner store. Of course, we now have a Patreon account and you could support what we do here. Uh, you could help fund our snack game. You could, uh, go and come into a live podcast, um, either in studio or one of our live events. And in addition, you know, on our socials, corner store underscore pod, you could let us know who we should have on the show. We are a space to uplift creatives and artists from around the city and beyond and would love to have your input. Uh, please let us know what you're thinking, what's on your mind, and, and, and you know, holler at us about what you think about the episodes. Um, today we have uh, a giant get for the show uh, someone who makes movies is a producer director creative director of uh, numerous numerous projects the barbershops soul food the hate you give uh, recently beats on netflix uh, and a number of other projects above all i think someone who really loves the city of chicago very much uh, a storyteller uh, bob title is in the corner store bob thank you for being here man kevin thanks for having me man. no it's been Big fan of the show, man. I'm glad I'm on. Thank well, I, I pre, I'm, a, I'm a big me. fan of yours and so so grateful that you uh, stopped by while you're in town for just a brief period. I always, I mean, listen, I come back all the time. No, I know. Yeah, yeah you sneak in. here and sometimes I sneak in and it's funny. A couple of times I just came back on my own and just I had to walk around. Like I literally for a couple of days <laughs> walked like 10, 12 miles just to kind of clear my head. Yeah. Get inspired. Right. Right, I've done that a couple times. Is you know, Common has a, and I know a buddy of yours has a has a, a line on his record. It says, "Yeah, some some days I take the bus home just to touch home." You know, yeah. and and I wonder for you for your creative process, and we're now getting way ahead of ourselves. But I guess Chicago, uh, just being in the city is a is a site, a source of inspiration. It always has been. I mean, just being here, and listen to be a sto- a storyteller, you have to be a great listener, right? So for me, it's going to a corner bar, kind of hanging out, listening to people, just kind of walking on the streets, just feeling it. Uh, I read, it's funny, like in California when I'm there, I'm reading the Chicago papers all the time. And I'll get the reader, I'll check it out even online. But then when I'm here, I got to pick it up because I have that hard copy. Yeah, of course. You know, and I'm always constantly, constantly looking for stories. And you'd be surprised how many I could find, you know. Listen, a lot of them don't materialize, but a lot of them I'm finding and trying to put them together. And I always tell people, like, in the film business, you got to have a niche, right? If you're doing horror movies, stick to horror movies. If you're a comedy guy, stick to that. For me, it's like I just find a lot of Chicago stories. And, listen, there's so many more 
stories that need to be told out here. And there's so many more stories I want to tell. And there's a couple I'm developing now that I really dig. And like, there's some I've been d- developing for a long time. Like, one I'll tell you, which is interesting, is Disco Sucks. Yes. Disco Demolition. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Which is funny. Every time I tell somebody that story, they're like, oh, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I mean, like. Well, it's a great and horrible Chicago story, yeah, right? It's, 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 it's amazing. so much complexity. Area. Yes, yeah. The complexity started to bother me because I never heard the other side to it just till recently. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I talked to Steve Dahl, he was a guy who just hated disco music. That's right. it. It wasn't, he didn't hate anything. He just hated disco music. But in part, it became also a site for kind of anti-queer, anti-black, anti-Latino, Latinx yeah. music and culture too, at least in the stadium that night. That's what it seemed. Well, afterwards, when I started reading all this stuff, you know, at first I had you know, listen, it didn't even dawn on me. Maybe that's, I was so naive. But then I started reading this stuff, you know, and that started coming out more and more. So there's this real kind of gray area. Yeah. But knowing Steve as a person, he just hated disco music, man. He was right. a dude who loved rock and roll. Right. And there was nothing about it. But then as time went on, it's kind of interesting yeah. how the story has changed a little. Yeah. And if we would do the story, you know, great stories always, there's this gray area too. Like there's two sides to everything. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because that story... It was Mike Vec, you know, Bill's son. Who came up with the idea. Came up with yeah. the idea. Yeah. Mike Vec alone has an amazing story on his own. But that was like, you know, it was this son trying to prove to his father that, look at, look at me, I could do this. And I could draw, you know, the Sox were drawing like 4,000 people a night. Right. 4,500, you know, on a good night. To boost numbers. Right. Wanted to do some sort of gag or, you know, some, some trick to get more folks in the seats. And he did it, right? There was 45. Forty-seven right. thousand in the park, and there are thirty thousand outside the park. Wow! It was the first time a baseball game was ever canceled due to the conditions on a field for the second game. Right. And then there's this great scene, like you got Harry Carey in the booth telling kids to calm down, right, to get back to their get seats, back. right? Yeah. And then Jimmy Pearsall, who's going nuts, saying these kids are smoking marijuana, they don't know what's going on. Like it was like in always in a perfect world, right? You get Will Ferrell to play Harry Carey. Wow, amazing. Which, if a lot of people know, that's how we broke into Saturday Night Live. His first character was playing Harry Carey. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, okay. So I was fortunate enough to meet him in L.A., and I kind of dropped the story on him. He just looked at me, he kind of didn't get it, you know what I mean? (laughs) But I'm going to go back to him if I ever get the opportunity. Yeah, that'd be incredible. I mean, that'd be great. And and for me, as a filmmaker, he sits in a booth, right? He doesn't leave. I said, dude, I'll shoot you out in one day. (laughs) Right. Just give me one day. Right. You'll sit in the booth. You won't even have to leave your chair. I'll get it all done in a day. That'd be spectacular. That'd be great. Well, I, you know, before we, I, I want to kind of understand how this curiosity for story came about. Um, before we do, you know, every time in the corner store, we offer our guests some snacks that Max, the snack tour, uh, curates and provides. You're already, uh, enjoying a beverage from our spirit sponsor, Stolen Spirits. Are you, uh, what, what do you take that straight, neat? Chaser, how, how are you enjoying I have a that? A couple under rocks here. Okay, good, good, good. All right. In, in addition, um, got you. I, you know, I think uh, you try to stay health conscious, like like I do. So, was thinking about uh, that a little bit. And this is an aspirational sponsor for us, but we really want RX Bar, which is a Chicago, or it started as a Chicago-based company, uh, the peanut butter and berry uh, protein bar. It's 12, 12 grams of uh, My protein. My three kids are here. I'm sure they would love to. Yeah, no, I know. Salutes to them. Uh, good to see them in the building. You have, you have a really incredible squad. 
Oh, they're great. Man. Yeah, with you today. Who, who? If you can't tell us, like, who's who? Who did you bring in the building with you? Today? I have my oldest, Hayden, who's about to turn fifteen this month. What's up, man? Sebastian, my middle child, just turned twelve last week. Yes, sir. And the young one, we call her Gigi, Amelia. She's <laughs> nine years old. Well, yeah, you got a, you got a nice family, Thanks. man. And we're yeah. coming to see you tomorrow night. I know. I appreciate that. Yeah. Sarah's, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, no, yeah, you, yeah, you're bringing your family to the MC Olympics yeah, that Young Chicago Walters does. We're going to Lala on Friday, so it should be a good time. Oh, you got yeah, you planned a good, a great weekend yeah, for, great for them. Weekend. Um, well, so so let's go back a little bit. I mean, I mean, where where do you come from? I guess. So I grew up in uh, Mount Prospect. Yeah. Obviously, not too far from here. What, what high school? Uh, John Hersey High School. Uh huh. So I graduated in '86, long time ago, and it was interesting because uh, my father passed away 20 years ago. He was French Jewish, and my mother's Puerto Rican. So my mother's family uh, was in Humble Park, and we spent a lot of time there. We really, my father, we didn't really hang out with his family. It was we were raised Catholic on my mom's side, so we spent the majority of our summers there, and our time in Humble Park, and that's kind of where I got the flavor for the city. So what was that like? I mean, in the, what you're talking about the um, the eighties or the yeah seventies seventies eighties yeah yeah I mean, yeah. What was Humble? I mean, Humble Park now obviously has gone through some pretty dramatic changes and there's a community there a puerto rican community there who is really holding on to maintain yes. the integrity of it as a puerto rican neighborhood but in the 70s and 80s what, what was it like well it was interesting i we did this movie which was called humble park but they changed it to nothing like the holidays which still to this day destroy, <laughs> destroys me that must be tough as a oh, it was, creator to but they had a reason because there was a movie that came out that was called humble Oh, about right. the marijuana in San yeah. Francisco oh. two months prior. Yeah. I mean, that movie came and went, right? I could have right. called it Humble Tune. Like, no one would have known. It was called Humble Park, and it was kind of based off. Uh, it was kind of a take on my family, right? My father was Jewish. My mother was Puerto Rican. But John Leguizamo played the father. And the mother was played uh, where she was Jewish by mm. Deborah Messing. Mm. But I had, a, I had a greatest wow. cast, man. That's a great I had cast, yeah. Johnny Legs, Louis Guzman. You know, Freddie Rodriguez. I mean, I just had a great, great cast. Hernandez, Jay Hernandez. It was just, we just had so much fun. Alfred yeah. Molina played the father. I mean, like I got this great cast. And that's based loosely off of your life? Well, yeah, it was like kind of taken off yeah. my life. And it was, you know, but we obviously added to it and added the dimensions of the family. But I really wanted to capture Humble Park. And it was interesting because that movie didn't perform as well. And it, it really kind of got to me. That one hurt a little. Mm. I, I'm used to films not necessarily all doing well. But a lot of them have been pretty giant. I've been very fortunate. They've been very popular yeah. and they get great reviews, but we don't make a ton, a ton of money. We're like, you know, like Common always says, you know, never had a platinum, but we're just consistent. Right. We always joke with him like that. We're kind of, we're like the... I remember George, my partner, when we were all sitting around talking, he said, we're like you, man. We just kind of go out and grind, get it done. People like the music. But it's not, you know, not $100 million kind of joint yet. I mean, I want to. I definitely can see it in the future. And, you know, for Chicago, we were the filmmakers that were coming back here all the time. Right. Making stuff when no one was doing anything. Right. So we didn't have the big, giant budgets of some of these movies, but we were consistent. And, you know, growing up, like the, to me, like the two cornerstone movies in Chicago is like Cooley High, yeah, by Michael Schultz. Schultz said, "Is I'm sorry," and that was like '75, and then it was Thief. 
by Michael Mann, mm. James Caan, like 81. Mm. Those were, to me, like these two seminal movies, right? Then you had Blues Brothers, which just kind of blew it wide open. Yeah. And then you had all the John Hughes movies, right? And, and did you watch those coming up? I mean, were you interested? Yeah. yeah okay. I was fascinated by yeah. it. Even the John Hughes movies, even though I didn't grow up in that neighborhood or that yeah. kind of thing, I was the kid that was the same age as that kid growing up. Mm. So when I was 14 years old, they were shooting Breakfast Club. And I rode my bike like seven, eight miles about six or seven times during that shoot just to sit outside and watch. Wow. And the funny thing is the second AD, it's a guy named Jim Giovanetti, who became my first AD on Barbershop. You know what I mean? And it, the great thing about Chicago is a lot of those people are st- you know, still working today. And to John Hughes' credit, not only did he make these great seminal movies that have withstood the test of time, he was so consistent about Chicago. Like he had a stage here, like in Lincolnwood, that he just kept open. And when he wanted to shoot something, he shot something. But he didn't even rent it out. He just kept it open. Wow. And he had people on staff, and he was making all these movies at the time. And he was consistent. And throughout the years... There's a couple actors that would come back and do a couple things, but I was just that guy who just loves the city. Like, I would shoot here when it didn't make sense. Right. Like, in February. Early on, right? I mean, this is like Soul Food or before? Yeah, well, Soul Food was like 96, right? Okay. So we shot 96. Uh, Barbershop was 2000. Right. But it was like, you know, we're shooting a dead of winter. Right. People are like, what are you doing? <laughs> and to me, that's a character. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, it was Weather funny. is a character in the city, for sure. It is a right? character, yeah. right? Yeah. And I always tell people, listen... You can't get cooler, but you can always get warmer. So you're going to be fine. Yeah. Right? right. And the interesting thing when like we were doing barbershop, I was like, you always see Cube in LA, right? With the jersey on, hot summer shorts. But you never seen like Cube bundled up in that winter vibe. Right. So that was part of like the selling tool. It's a Cube, man. No one sees you dressed in the winter, <laughs> man. You're going to be in snow. And then Cube told the, I'll tell you one thing. He said the, great, the greatest story. First time he ever saw snow, he was in Chicago. And we're sitting around a table with Common and Derek, and Derek's Common's manager, and he was doing an NWA show in Chicago, and Common opened up for him. Wow. First time. And Cube's like, yes, first time I saw snow. Never been that cold in my wow. entire life when NWA came to Chicago. Dang. Wait, so were you, did you have a, a role in squashing the beef between Common and Cube, or is that before you kind of were? That's a great story. I'll tell you something, you know, knowing Common, always wanted to work with him. Yeah, and it was funny. Like I'd see him in L.A. and we had this connection, but I would never go up to him because I knew there'd be a time when I would do it. Like I didn't want to go up to him like a fan. I just want to go up to him like as a coworker, right? So when he was interested in doing Barbershop Three, I was like, "Come on, you got to do this. It's all about your city." I said, "Well, let me call Cube because I knew they had that beef, right?" Yeah. So I called Cube. He goes, "Come on, man. That was a long time ago." And those two could have not been cooler together, and. That same year, when Common did his concert in the park, one of the festivals in the park, when he yeah. threw his own festival. Off Fest or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cube came and performed with him. That's right. Wow. Yeah. And that's, they were doing a couple of NWA songs. It was incredible. That's dope. So, they, those two got along great. I, I, what, what drove you to ride your bike as a 14-year-old to... It was like five, six miles, yeah. Yeah, to, to sit and watch a, a film production a film set i mean what what was happening in your life that did you already know at that point you wanted to be in the arts make films what what was I going on for I you that, yeah make films but i was kind of obsessed with them would miss school go kind of like check out a movie but my dad would take us on sundays all the time and there were like these certain movies that i remember watching 
that like just blew me away like crazy things like i remember seeing road warrior <laughs> mel gibson's road warrior like that movie just we sat through it twice mm. just in the theater the golf mill movie theater back in the days you know right and it was like i remember a time when my father said so french connection right he, he my father was born in marseille france and he could never afford a tickets to france that film came out in 71 i was three years old but it was like it, they were playing it in a theater like when i was like 12 years old in the early 80s he goes i'm gonna take you to see this movie because this is where i was born i can't afford to take you there but i'm gonna show you where i was i was born via this film wow yeah so it was like this this weird connection and i was just kind of obsessed with movies didn't know what i wanted to do till i went to columbia you know i knew i wanted to get into film but what aspect i really didn't know until i went there yeah and you went there for undergrad and graduated from there yeah in 90 right yeah and that during that time we made my partner george tillman we made his thesis film that i produced and it was great because that was uh a 30-minute film called Paula. Hmm. And it won the Student Academy Award in the Midwest. It didn't win the whole thing, but I had this letter that it said it won the award in the Midwest. And then the greatest thing I did about four blocks from here, I waited for Roger Ebert to come out of his office, and I had the tape of Paula. That wasn't even a movie. And I waited for him. I waited like seven, eight hours. I give him, I said, Mr. Ebert, if you don't mind, would you check this film out? It's a movie we made me here in Chicago. He looked at me. because yeah, no problem. He grabs the tape, right? Walks off. About, I would say about six weeks go by, I get the tape in the mail with a letter. It was a four-paragraph letter from Roger Ebert. He goes, and the four paragraphs, like two were glowing, two weren't so hot, right? <laughs> so I had this letter with his letterhead on it. Yeah. And I made a bunch of copies. Then I went to Kinko, spent a day like cut and pasting the two good paragraphs out of the four. And I had this letter with his letterhead on it with these two glowing paragraphs. And I used that, that little Student Academy Award thing, and we raised 150 Gs through 44 cats in Chicago to shoot our first feature film. Wow, which was? Scenes for the Soul. Wow. We shot that in November 93. So it took us a, a year. I mean, it was, uh, talk about hustle. No kidding. It was, a, it was the greatest hustle of all time. Yeah. Like, first guy to give me money was a plumber. Gave me like two grand. There are people like, uh, one of my close friends out here, Sean Collins, realtor, like he was driving down the street. I could tell you it was snowy. I had my head down. I looked like the saddest cat in the city, right? Walking down the street. And he pulls over, what's going on, man? He's driving his Range Rover. And he's like kicking butt in real estate. And he wrote me a check for like three grand. Wow. And didn't even like sign the paperwork. He just gave me a check for three grand. He goes, who should I make it out to? And I was so shocked. Like, I forgot the name of the LLP. I said, just leave it blank. He goes, okay, take it. <laughs> I mean, he was crazy, right? So we raised this money. Like I said, through 44 investors to get 150. And then we shot this movie on 16 millimeter. And we spent a year editing at IPA. Where's that? Uh, it was on Webster. Okay. In the scene. And we were there at nights for a year. Wow. And the editor, Greg, was great. He did a lot of, everybody in Chicago did commercials because commercials were booming back then. Yeah. But he wanted to, you know, do a feature. So we would go at nights and work with him. And we'd go every night, I don't you know, maybe three nights a week. Yeah. My memory shot yeah. back then. And he charged you less because it was after yeah, hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was right. totally after hours. <laughs> right. You know, and we're going there. We cut the movie, spend a year cutting the movie. Wow. And we'd drive out to LA with like 600 bucks between us. 
and we crashed at a friend's house. Then it kicked us out. So like in the car. And then six weeks later, two days before Christmas, we sell the film for a million dollars to Savoy Pictures. Wow. And you, you, you know, you think this is like unreal, right? But that studio went out of business. <laughs> Typical Hollywood story. The movie never came out. You know, we tripled everybody's money. And George was writing Soul Food at the time. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, let's just go raise money again. So we spent like a year re-editing a movie. Then we get a call. Well, yeah, the studio goes out of business. Your movie's not coming out. And we tested the movie. It didn't test well at all. So you shot it, though. You we had, shot yeah, it. We were done. Okay, yeah. And then we actually met with L.A. Reid was going to do the soundtrack. He goes, I got this young dude. Probably never heard of him. His name is P. Diddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He's going to do the music. I, I don't know what happened there. That fell through. And then we had Paul Stewart from PMP, and he did all the music. And then we had to take the film, and it was 16, and blow it up to 35. We do all this stuff. Eight right. months, right? Heartbreaking. Killer. Yeah. And then George Jackson, Doug McHenry were our producers. They were the guys that did New Jack City. They were like the kings of Hollywood. Right. And that was an education unto itself, hanging with those guys. Right, I'm sure. And uh, Being around all of that, I'm sure, for a Chicago guy. Oh, my God. To move out there and then get that. It's a crash course. And, it's a crash course. Yeah. Got the cool leather jackets. Hey, you know what I mean? listen. That cost 200 a piece. <laughs> who, is, who is George? I know he's your partner, but I mean, yeah. George yeah. Tillman. Yeah. Uh, director. Right. So I produce, he directs. Right. He grew up in Milwaukee, but went to Columbia. And we started a film company. You guys at met Columbia. at school? Yeah, we met at school. Okay. And met in film class. It was this class, I remember it was like Film Tech 2, and everybody was talking like, what's your favorite movie this summer? And all these kids were saying these art house movies, and we said Die Hard. We both said Die Hard. <laughs> that was the coolest movie I've ever seen. Right? And then we just kind of bonded over that, and yeah. we were both living in the dorms, and we started this film company, and there was five of us, but we would just shoot. We'd go out, grab a camera. So we shot every Cats. This is where our lives probably crossed, Kevin. We were shooting everybody's music, hip-hop music videos in Chicago, right? Yeah. From, I'd say, 90... To like 94. Right. We were doing like D to the S, 10 Trey. Then we did the Put Down the Guns video, which had all these different cats in it. I mean, these videos were like six grand, five grand, 2,500. Which at that time for rappers in the city to come up with that money or for y'all to self-funded as students or whatever, that's a lot of money yeah, yeah, to make yeah. a video at that time, oh, especially. It, it was great. And you know, it's funny, like, but people were blowing up though, right? You know, hype shooting these million dollar videos. We're doing yeah. fifteen thousand dollar video. Like after that time, that's when the videos just took a life of its own. We flew to Jamaica a couple times to some dance hall stuff. Wow. That was our biggest stuff. But we never kind of like never took never got to that next level in the video world. Right. And then at the time, there's this group Ten Trey, who was signed to Smash Records, and I don't know if I'm correct, so don't kind of hold me to it. But some people say that was the first group signed. Like hip hop rap group, it was at that time signed to a major label. Mm. I can't confirm from, that from the not. city. Yeah, but there was you know there were so many great people out here. Yeah, Twister. Oh, Twister. We tried to do his video. EC we Illos. tried to do R. Kelly's video back in the day. There was uh, there was so many good cats out here. Yeah, and went and went to all those clubs. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? I mean, that's right. What we were talking about. exactly. Well, because we met through Joe Shanahan. Yeah, um, Mr. And, cool. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Rock and roll cool, Joe Shanahan. And also, just I mean, has you know for year, I mean, decades now, had his pulse on also electro music and electronic music in the city, and you know, so I think we were talking about some of the clubs 
that we would, yeah, you know. My, um, uh, you've got a better memory than I do. Monday night was. Oh, yeah, the Blue Groove Lounge. Jesse yes. Villapena's Blue Groove Lounge. We were talking about that, yeah, the I Elbow love, Room. I love Jesse. Yeah, Jesse is amazing. Shouts out to Jesse. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Every day. Great cat. Yeah. And, but what was it, like, every night there was a night. What was Monday night? In Chicago. Uh, well, the, Jesse ran, it was, but I think it was a monthly at the Blue Groove Lounge. Right. I mean, the places that I would go to on the regular before I turned of age, because I had a fake for a, a long right. time, but I, I would go to the Elbow Room, but I'd go to um, Medusa's, yes. you know, and uh, when I was a kid, try to sneak and try to stay in the bathroom when they would, because it was all ages, and they would then come around at, I think, 1030 and try to kick all out all the underage folks, but we would like hide in the bathroom and hope not to get <laughs> so I was caught. a lot older than you at that time but we were we were like going to these clubs and there was legendary trackster yes was producing all these cats yeah you know there was so many talent you know what the most talented cat was da smart oh my god yeah well he's one of the first people i remember really rapping in chicago oh it was unreal like yeah he was, he was unsigned for years but he was like the most talented yeah dude it's funny like when I, we when i finally got to know common and we would talk about the chicago history first he goes dude i'm a lot younger than you so you're you're saying stuff <laughs> and i i got him by like five years so all these things we were talking about but he remembers all, everything going on of course this yeah. is like pre-kanye before yes kind of producing oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. i mean it was before chicago hip-hop really had its own identity you know i mean i yeah. think you know common was one of the first people i remember hearing that sounded like he was from Chicago. I mean, uniquely, you know, that, you, you, it, it was because in part because he, his pen game is so strong oh, yeah. that he was beginning to put local streets and sayings and slang all in the music. And, and for any time hip hop leaves the boroughs that they come from, there's a process of manip, uh, of mimicking, I think from any city right. outside of New York. Uh, so it took Chicago, like any city, a while to understand what Chicago hip-hop was going to sound like, be like. And in some ways, sonically, like the fusion of house, the house scene into hip-hop and breakbeat culture produced hip-house for that very short period. But I loved that music. But Common was someone who I'm like, oh, damn, this is what it means to sound like and be someone who is telling a Chicago story in the context of hip-hop That's so poetic true. practice. He, you know? he was that guy. Yeah, I, yeah. To me, I always tell him the corner. Yeah, you know? one of the best written yes. hip hop songs of all time, and the video. Yeah, it's Kanye directed. Damn, and it's black and white, and yeah. then the tracks, and it's snowing. That's no, stunning. It's like one of the coolest. I think it's one of the best Chicago hip hop videos. Uh, of all I time. totally, I agree. Yeah. Um, I want I want to go back to Soul Food a little because this is y'all's. That was of, our first studio movie, right? Which was is a great film and put. I felt like it put Chicago cinema back on the map in a black space. It was. It was, you know, the. I mean, maybe not necessarily since Cooley High, but it was a moment. Well, you know what it was? It was Cooley High. Then it was Ted Witcher's Love Jones. Yes. Love Jones was like a year and a half. We went to school with Ted. Okay. That was That's a brilliant film. Yeah. That holds up the test of time, Love Jones. Yeah, then when we did Soul Food, it was great, right? Because it was 20th Century Fox. And the reason, that's a good story. The reason that movie got made was because of Babyface, right? So Babyface is coming off of Waiting to Exhale, that he wrote all the music, right? 13 million copies sold. Wow. So we go to Fox. I don't even know if they read the script, right? All they knew is if Babyface writes this music, this stuff's going to blow up. You know what I mean? So literally they gave him a film deal. We're about to do the script. And they're like, yeah, we want to shoot in LA. And we're like, nah, we're going to shoot in Chicago, right? And they're like, well, we really think it's got to be in LA. And then we were like, fine, well, we're just going to go back and make it ourselves. And it sounds ballsy. 
It was just being young and naive and stupid. Yeah. Right. If I knew what I did now, I'd say, yeah, yeah, LA's cool. I love LA. <laughs> but you kind of no, were committed no, we to the to. idea of telling a Chicago story in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. I'm joking. Yeah. We had yeah, to tell yeah. a Chicago story. And when we came here, like that movie was seven and a half million dollars, right? So for us going from 150 grand to seven and a half was unbelievable. But for the studio, that's nothing. Right. Right. And for Fox. So we make it in uh, November, December of 96. And we had a great cast. And we were, I was just like so happy to be there. Like, I'm like, this is it. And the great thing about that movie is all the, a lot of people on that crew, I'm working with people today, like worked on Beats, you know, 22 years later. So it's great to, to see that. And with who, who, do, who, who are some of the people who kind of, you know, carried with you into the work you're doing now? Uh, there's like a couple of locations, like Maria Roxas, who was our location manager, Daryl Johnson, like all these cats who are working today in Chicago, yeah. Kwame, like all these people who's now become the Chicago Film uh, Commissioner, which is great. Wow. Shouts out to him. Uh, like all these people we were working, we were coming up and we were like, and we had such a great cast, right? Vanessa Williams, Nia Long, Vivica Fox, my boy Makai, yeah. Michael Beach, and then Brandon Hammond who played the kid. I mean, and it was just incredible. You know what I mean? And like, here we are doing this movie. And I used to joke, no one came out. So we had no parental supervision, right? We were just off our rockers, just shooting all day. I mean, the hours were crazy. We're shooting six day weeks. Like, I'm too old to do six day weeks. Not like, no. I can't do it. But we were so happy. And, but where we were so undisciplined, like, was with time. We just kept shooting. Because mm. we'd look at each other, George and I, and, and without saying it, like, we blow this, that's it. There's like, <laughs> there's no. So you wanted back. to make sure you had everything you needed. Yeah, possible. like, overly cautious. Right, like, of course. That's a great take. But you know what? Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was perfect. Yeah. You know what? Let's do it again. Well, it's your first time. That makes sense, though, right? I mean, yeah, we were just like, and you just wanted to be so perfect about it. Yeah. Man. And when that movie came out, it just caught wind with yes. everybody. Like just, and it was like, this is where you kind of saw like that reverse racism come in. Like, oh my God, that was so good. I had no idea. What do you mean you have no idea? Like what, that your family's just like this family that anybody could relate to this stuff? Right. Was, was that, I mean, because, you know, a lot of the stories that you tell are, you know, feet, I mean, they center on black narratives. Correct. And so has that been a continual push from Hollywood? Is that beginning to change? Is that something that you had to actively make the case for or fight for? Oh, you, you had to fight for that big time. Today, it's, it's still it's got a long way to go, but it's definitely gotten better. Because if you just look at the cast of actors out there today, right? There's more and more cats working than ever before. Yeah. And studios really tv shows i'll give tv credit they will take chances on people because so many people are working now when you do a movie it's so funny it's hard to get people because everybody's booked you know and it's great if you know hollywood opened their eyes to that world to hiring females to hiring people of color you know listen being Puerto Rican, I still think we got. I think we have a long way yeah. to go. Just a Latin yeah. population, and you know what drives me nuts in Hollywood is they they beg for it. They're like, we need Latin material. We need, but then they don't do it. Right. Like I have a couple projects now that are like perfect that hit that sweet spot, and like no, 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 you know they want it, but then they don't really want it. So I think the African American films, actors, crews, directors, and writers have gone really far in a great way they're like growing and growing it's getting stronger and stronger the latino population we still have a long way to go we're breaking through here and there yeah. and listen they're doing 
Lin-Manuel's first one. They're doing West Side Story. So I think it's it's going to change because they're going to be stars from that movie that no one's seen before. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes. And I look forward to, you know, next year when those films come out because I really think it's going to open people. Well, you're, I mean, you've had, you know, a good amount of success with telling stories about black life in Chicago and beyond. Um, but of course, I mean, the barbershop films, I think, are, you know, well loved here and, and everywhere. Yeah, um, that was but, a blast. but you've been, and you have a lot of history to cover, and I, I kind of, I, yeah. I don't want to, glean over anything but you've been telling more difficult stories of late i would say and there was a lot of complexity to soul food a lot of complexity to barbershop particularly for me barbershop too is very much about gentrification and some of the complexities of you know where we're at in this moment and you know uh, barbershop three was really that like it was funny like to get barbershop three going i knew you know think about it you know the president was living four blocks from where that barbershop was shot and right. he's now the Af- first african-american president and i had and you know what's going on in chicago and when i talked to cuba about it we started talking about like what's going on today so when barbershop three which was made 17 years after the last one wow i had to come up with the reason why so it's funny there's this place in la there's a street called larchmont and I knew the president of MGM always goes there on Sunday mornings because I would take my kids to Sam's Bagels. Look at the way they light up. Yeah, they said they said you stole a bite of their bagel this morning. <laughs> and I would always take them there to this place. And I knew he would always walk down that street. And my good friend still hustling, still oh, out man, here, it never, yeah, stopped. never stopped. Yeah, I swear to God. <laughs> so my good friend Malcolm Lee did the best man, and his he did the sequel to that, and it opened to like twenty some million dollars. And there was no better time. So that weekend, it came out. I'm like, kids, I'm going to go get you bagels. I might not come back for two, three hours. But I waited for that cat. Wow. Jeff Glickman, he's a great guy. And, and, and you he walked you down connect, the street, yeah. and he's walking, and he's running MGM. I said, hey, John, how are, hey, Bob, how are you? Da, da, da. I said, listen, you know what came out this weekend? Yeah, Malcolm's movie, Best Man Did 20 some million. I said, listen, Barbershop 3, what do you mean? He goes, we got to do Barbershop 3. Look what's going on. That movie was 15 years ago. It was their last one. We're right around that time. Look what's going on in Chicago. We talk about Barack, who was three blocks from this barbershop, blah, blah, blah. And the irony was Malcolm directed the movie. You know? Um, yeah. I, was, I mean, I hustled. I waited on that street for him to come up. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, you still got to do it, man. Yeah. No, of course. I, yeah, re- I guess it really never stops. And no, it never stops. Especially because the industry is also cha- in flux and always changing. Oh but God. particularly... My industry is, I mean, listen, from the music side of things, no one's been through more than what they went through, but they're in a renaissance now. And I'm a member of the Academy. I'm very fortunate, which I'm very blessed and honored to be a member of the Motion Picture Academy. And I remember going to a meeting there and, you know, they're kind of saying this about Netflix, this about Netflix. And I'm so for Netflix. You know, we executive produced Mudbound, which we didn't have a a lot to do with the movie, but we kind of jump-started it. And then we just did Beats, which was a Chicago movie that just came out, you know, uh, six weeks ago and had a great experience working with them. And people are saying, well, they got to release movies in the theaters. And I'm saying to them, look at look what happened to the music business. If you would have told these cats there's no record stores, if you would have told these cats they're not selling albums, that they're giving away music for free. But what turned is licensing music and touring they wouldn't have believed it, right? So we, the film business has got to look at the record business and see what they went through. And 
and come out ahead. And the great thing about Netflix, Amazon, Apple, all these places, Hulu, is they're employing people. Mm-hmm. People are getting to tell their stories that necessarily wouldn't. And now, it's funny. You, you go to you go pitch things, movies, and they'll say, "Oh, that's a streaming movie," or "That's a, this kind of movie." And is that a diss, or is that just practical? I mean, is it's a combination of both? Sometimes yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm still got to get over it a little. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like it's a diss, but then it's a reality, right? You know, like when we did the Hate You Give, yeah, which was an amazing, amazing act, powerful story, powerful story. We didn't do well in the box office at all. And, you know, the film still has a life. And a lot of people saw it after. Right. A lot of people were like, oh, my God, what a great movie, which is a compliment. And you're so f- fortunate enough they say it. But what happens to that movie with a stream? Like, if that movie would have been a streaming movie, you know, we were, we were up for Oscar consideration. We never got the nominations, but we were pushing. Yeah. Right? And I think a little of the film not performing really well kind of kind of hurt us a little. So if that movie was streaming, would it have gotten more accolades? It might have because then you wouldn't have to worry about the box office. Well, that helped make your decision around Beats, right? Which is a, a different kind of story. Um, yeah, but- like it's a smaller movie dealing with Chicago and kind of kids dealing with the violence in Chicago, but more of the mental illness side of things and how... Some kids go through these situations and PTSD, agoraphobia, and it kind of dealt with that in a great kind of way. Now, if that movie would have went theatrically, I know the, all the people they said who saw it on Netflix, there's no way it would have done Right, because it's done incredibly well on Netflix. It's very well on Netflix. Right. A lot of people have seen it. Millions and millions and millions and millions. Yeah, they tell us we can't really say the number. Okay, but, but it, yeah, it's, yeah it's, but, but it's doing well on Netflix. Way, if all those numbers were box office, yeah, you know, you'd be, uh, I'd, uh, I'd be buying this building. <laughs> <work. laughs> but, yeah, but I know that all those people wouldn't have gone and seen the movie, right? None right. The, not you get those people to go to the theater, right? And it's so interesting. They're giving you numbers and they say, yeah, but these are numbers. But you can understand sometimes people watching in groups, right? These are just the people who clicked on, there's right. two, three people behind them. Right. So if you do the numbers, it's crazy. But then that's the world we live in. And one thing my kid said, he's looking up at me now, which was interesting, said, oh, the movie you're doing, it is it on Netflix? I said, yeah. He goes, good, now all my friends could see it. Word. Right? Yeah. That's so when he said yeah. that, I was like, wow. Yeah. That 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 was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Hey Hey T said that. Now that so so what what is kind of the future of of your you know your your art form? What, I mean, is it are we going to return to theaters at some point? Are people going to have a desire to go out and? I think people always go to theaters. Man. Yeah, that that's like, you know, that's this myth they have out there. Like, there's this little movie that's playing called Yesterday. It's not little. I mean, a great director, but it's at like sixty five, seventy million. So in the midst of it's a little story. Well, it's Beatles music, I, I, so maybe it's not right. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's this clever, cute little. little movie with actors no one really knows, right? Right. And it's just playing through the summer. So there's people always going to have a desire to go to the movie theaters. That will never change. And the big movies will always play like that. And the box office, you know, goes up every year. Obviously, it's less people because ticket prices are a little higher. But it's still, you know, like at an all time high. Right. It's just going to be a, it's a different kind of world. Like, listen, the Irishman, you know, that's De Niro, Pesci, 
But she, the trailer came out today. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm obsessed. Yeah. And we got to work with De Niro and still friends with him today. To me, like, that's going to be the movie of the year. Wait, how, when did you work with De Niro? What we time? worked with him on Men of Honor. Okay. In 2000. Yeah. And he's been a great mentor to us. And when we were doing The Hate You Give, he still he screened a movie for us. And I got to go up and introduce him. And he told great stories. And he doesn't like doing that kind of thing. Wow. And we had all these people see the movie. They didn't want to see the movie. They didn't want to see him. But, I mean, he's been so kind and... Like, I'm just a fan, right? Like, Goodfellas, that comes on, I still watch it. Yeah. I can't stop. If it came on, too, I would, I no, probably would have been yeah, like, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. It's like the best. Yeah. So when I, when I see a movie like that, and that's made for Netflix. I mean, you don't get a better Scorsese, De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, Keitel. And that's right? made for Netflix? Yeah. Now, it's going to come into theater. Okay. All right, all right. But. I see. Netflix spent a lot of money making that movie. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And then when Alfonso Cuaron made his movie, like in black and white, who's going to go make a movie about a small Mexican, you know, help is work? Roma? Is, yeah, Roma. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant movie, right? Yeah. But is the studio going to spend, give all that money, make a black and white movie? So th- there's this trade-off. Yes. But I'm all for it. Like, I'm down for Netflix. and they're great to make movies for and like i said people are working yeah and it opens up the kinds of narratives that are then told yes in part because of the platform access who's watching right right who's watching listen it's hard to you know i i'm coming to terms with it but i'm i'm really coming to terms with it and it's 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 going down easy for me right because i just want to adjust to the times yeah and i want to continue making stories that a lot of times Studios, studios won't tell. Like Beats, go back to Beats. I don't know if a studio would have done that movie. Right. Right. So I, I imagine, you know, you always have a lot of things on the burner. What What are some of the proge- projects that will come out that you're working on or that you could talk about even oh, no, that, you're, that you're excited about? Well, uh, I'm working on the Bob Marley movie at Paramount. We're in script format. So it's early, early stages. We st- still haven't turned into script yet. I mean, that would be phenomenal. I'm so fortunate Giant. to be part of that yeah. and working with Ziggy and have a couple amazing writers. I'm doing a, a TV show, which when I say doing, I'm, I should say trying to do about Sullivan High School, mm. Rogers Park, right? which there was an article in Chicago Magazine called Refugee High. And it's this great story about you know all these refugees like attend this high school because of where it's at, close to Devon Avenue, blah, blah, blah. And Chad Adams is the principal of the school. I got to know him. He's a great guy. A couple of the teachers, these people are doing such great work in this city. And what they're doing to help these kids and embrace these kids is something else. I would love to tell that story. Fictional, documentary. Oh, it's, it would be a narrative yeah, uh, right. TV show. All right. But it's based off, based of, off a couple of these happening. teachers. And, Amazing. You know, he, I went to that school four times, and I became friends with some of the teachers, and just hearing these stories, it'll just... I mean, that that I, I really want to tell that story. There's, You know, it's funny. I juggle a lot of things, and part of what I have to do is learn to let them go. Right. I'm not letting that one go. A couple others I'll let go. Yeah. Just because I have to. Yeah. No, that'd be a good story to sense. tell. Yeah. That's funny now is, as I gotten older, I could read something and, and like it, but I got to read something like it and can I get it made? And a lot of times I'm just maybe not the right person to do that. Maybe you need someone else who has a better in to that kind of world or so forth. Yeah. That's what I mean about like, you know, like being in California a lot. 
a lot of Chicago stories. I'm always telling you, send me the Chicago stories. Or like when I miss one and someone gets me, I'm like, why did you call me that, man? That, that was my mood. Because I get the calls, right? Hey, I'm going to Chicago. Uh, who should I hire? What should I do? Right. Blah, blah, blah. I get those calls all the time. What studio should I use? What about this first AD, da, da, da? Like, I get those calls constantly. Right. You know? Well, you, uh, obviously, you went to L.A. to follow your dream. That's where the industry is. You've stayed out there, but you've remained coming back here. What are the things about the city that keeps you coming back? That's it's it's easy. It's the people, you know. It's like it's so funny. I tell this story. I mean, this was recently, right? About five months ago, I come back, land at like ten thirty, get home, get to my place at eleven. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go to a bar, just have one drink, go home, go to sleep, walk around a corner, go to this corner bar, and three guys are sitting at the end table start walking you know talking to them and then the bartender we start talking and he's telling me some great stories right i didn't leave till 1 four drinks later you know what i mean i'm not doing that in la that'll never happen in la no one's talking to you <laughs> no one's doing that and just reading about these stories and the people and like i said being a good listener i've always been a good listener i think that's helped me a lot like i want to hear these stories i want to hear people's stories like i want to hear what they're talking about, what they're thinking about. I love doing that. Yeah. But the city, I just, I mean, I truly love this city. Like, I wear it on my sleeve. I mean, it's to nauseum. Even, like, the guys I work with, like, oh, my God. Here comes another Chicago story. Or, like, someone comes in for a meeting. They're from Chicago. Like, I actually wake up. <laughs> like, pay attention. That's you the know? first half hour of the yeah, meeting. Yeah, we're talking, hey, you remember this place? Da, da, da. I mean, there's there's something about it that's infectious. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, but you're right. Chicago is a city of storytellers. It is a city of storytellers. I mean, Nelson Algren, right? He's the greatest yeah. storyteller of all time. I mean, and he wrote about the people who didn't make it. Yeah. Right? He wrote yeah. about the people who didn't make it. And there's something about that. Yeah. There's something. And, you know, I still read his stuff. I listen to the, you know, on I, with the books. Yeah. I mean, I love listening to that stuff. I'll walk through this. I mean, this is corny, but I'll say it out loud. Like, I'll listen to Man with a Golden Arm. I'll listen to the book. Yeah. And I walk through the city. Yeah. I mean, I, I need to get inspired. I don't think that's corny. I, I mean, for me, I, I Nelson is a big inspiration. I think, the you know, one of the best things ever written about a city is uh, City on the Make. Ah, you know, which is his it's unbelievable. prose love letter to this to this town. And he it was all Wicker Park and it's yeah. like yeah. all those bars and yeah, the old. It's you Polish, know what's sad Ukrainian. about when he left, and he died in Long Island, and yeah. he was buried in Long Island, and Studs Terkel went out there to. That cat should be buried here. They should. Uh, we should undig that grave For real. and bring him yeah, back. Yeah, no, that that would be. I mean, the that move. cat deserves. He, he should be buried here. He should be buried in Wicker Park, Wicker Park. in the actual park, you know, right. near, near his old house on Evergreen or something. I knew like you were that. a big fan. Oh, yeah. I can tell no, by your writing. Yeah, you know, he's been a tremendous influence. Listen, I mean, me. I don't want to pump you up, but your story. Uh, this is modern art. I mean, that uh, story's. I wish I would have saw the play. Yeah, but I'm reading it now, and I'm just oh, blown you. away. I appreciate that. No, seriously. Yeah, no. I mean, that's a great story. That's a story that needs to be told. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's always these great, and I'm all, I'm not even tapping into it yet. I know there's so much more, but every time I come here, I walk away with something. Yeah. So for me, it just gives me like, I I'll keep coming here. I have my place here. I want to be here full time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good. Well, we we need you in the city yeah, more, and and you you've been a real advocate for for the city and and championing it in many many different spaces. And you've just it's it's um, 
refreshing to see someone who has gone on from here to continue to give back in the way that you have, but the, 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 you, you shine a light back and that's really important that. because then that means the Chicago film industry can build in that light and we can, you know, not always have some of our best and brightest leave to the coast. And, right. you know, we could really hold folks here if they want to be here because the industry could also follow, you know, yeah, and, and listen, they could leave to the coast. That's cool. Yeah. Got to, get into business but you got to bring the stories here exactly yeah right that's it you got to write the stories here yeah you got to bring the stories back i mean it's funny like when barack was you know the state senator he helped us pass the tax incentive i got a chance and you know you just saw this guy and it was blagojevich too by the way you know he he loved the film industry yeah he was great for the film industry and we passed that tax incentive in 2002 and it opened up the doors you know it was on a set of barbershop too where we passed that bill And I always felt like, you know, I just want to help. Yeah. That's all I want to do. You know, and today, there's all these TV shows going. Alex Pizzo's with the stage at Cinespace. Unbelievable what yeah. they built. Yeah, no, Even when they were building it, they were telling me, and they were good guys. I'm like, and I joke with him all the time. Like, nah, man, that, this ain't going to work. Like, and I'm a guy making stuff here. Right. Like, because I could shoot in an abandoned warehouse. I could shoot anywhere. But to what they did, the infrastructure, and all the people around them. Yeah. No, it's emerging. I mean, you. With the unions. And yeah. They just built it up to the right place. And they've done such an amazing job of funneling the business here, you know. And it's an infrastructure that works. Right. Now, the tax incentive is not as strong as in Georgia or New Orleans. But you can't beat the crews here. You can't beat the acting community here. You can't beat the scenery. Mm. I shot three movies in Atlanta. You know, I don't know what else to shoot there anymore. I think, like, you just shoot, you look, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here you point a camera, you feel like you're finding something new all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like when I did the movie Southside with you, about Barack and Michelle's yeah. first Yeah, oh day. my God, that's right. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Girls love that movie. Yeah. No, it's yeah. A, yeah. That's like that first date movie. Yes, exactly. And the scenery in the South Side, and going to shoot that, and it was a period, right? We were trying to capture that period, but it still looks the same. And walking along the lakefront, and find, I mean, that that to me is just like a gem. I was so fortunate to produce that film. Right. You know. Well, listen, man. I mean, keep coming back. No, I will. Keep telling Chicago stories. Of course, you're welcome in the corner store anytime. Oh, please. Uh, Beats is streaming now on Netflix. Uh, it features Anthony Anderson, uh, Uzo from Orange Is the New Black, Emiatsa. And a kid out of Chicago, Khalil Average, who's starring in the film, who grew up on the South Side, playing a kid from the South Side. This kid's got a future. He's the real deal. So stream stream beats right now on Netflix. And also, Bob, if people want to stay in tune with what you're doing, where's the best space online on the Internet to, to be uh, you know, kept abreast of what, what's going on with you? Uh, I'm 51, so I ain't that, that savvy, <laughs> but uh, just hopefully you turn on the TV so okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. or check us out, but yeah, we're always, always going to come back. Page. We're always going to come back and Good. shoot films here. I'm never going to stop. Good. Well, please do, man, and thank, thank you for being in the corner store today. Kevin, a pleasure. We want to thank our super producer, DJ Cashera. WDN boss man, Todd Manley. Shout out Ernie the Engineer. And of course, Max the Snack Tour. All day. On IG and Twitter, we are... Corner Store underscore pod. Please y'all rate and subscribe on iTunes. Tell someone to listen to the Corner Store. And if you wish, you could also tell us who we should have on the Corner Store. Yeah, just you know, slide in our DMs. They're open. A great way to support us is through our Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash cornerstore underscore pod. 
and you can, you know, support us in our future endeavors and, you know, get some benefits along the way. And it's like the little change jar. Like yeah, you, the, know. The, you know. In front, like, at the corner jar, store. Right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you listen, please support, and uh, we really appreciate your support. Thanks. The Corner Store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits. <laughs>